Thank you for checking out the first episode of the Folkwise podcast. I am your host, David, and I'm excited to share this fun and informative episode with you. As you may or may not be aware, we are releasing this in tandem with the Folkwise website going live, so we ask as you're listening, if our services line up with your company's needs, give us a shot. We'd love to earn your business and the chance to help develop your company's vision. And without further delay, here's our episode. All right, so thank you so much for checking out the first episode of the Folkwise podcast. My name is David. I'm one of the software engineers here with the Folkwise team, and we're excited to record this first episode. Uh, I know a couple days ago, you guys didn't even know you're going to be on here with me, but hey, thank you for joining. Uh, I've got Josh and Monarch joining me, and we're going to go ahead and do some introductions here shortly. But I thought it would be really important to start with why Folkwise exists and why you should even be listening to this podcast. So, Monarch, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about the mission and even a little bit about yourself too, uh, before we get into the actual introductions. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, uh, I guess I am the um, uh, founder of uh, Folkwise, which is the most boring way for me to introduce myself. But <laughs> the reason the reason Folkwise exists is, I think we've lost touch with. Um, ourselves as a species. I think we've become really focused on technological growth, on economic growth, and we've just forgotten the human stories um, behind these machines. We've really forgotten the people, not even just the stories, but the people who are behind these great companies and these great pieces of technology. And I think that's a massive mistake. We're forgetting why we're making technology. We're forgetting who we're making it for. And we use this terrible world, word called users. I mean, I, I still use it because force a habit, but I hate the word. And really, the people who are building technology are people. The people who are using technology are people. And if we stop looking at technology as some abstract mathematical game uh, of programming and computer languages and technologies and start looking at it as a way to serve human beings, that's really the why. And, and there's so much that we're doing. Um, we're very young as a company, but we're already starting mentorship programs um, for developers who are looking to get into the industry. We're giving back to the community already right off the, right off the bat. We just signed up our first mentor, our first mentee. And uh, that happened this afternoon. And I'm so excited about that. Um, and when we look on the client side, Immediately off the bat, all of the projects that we've been so fortunate to get um, because of our individual reputations in the industry, um, just off the bat, all of them start with the customer. We care about what, where the customer comes from, uh, what their journey is, what are the different types of customers that are using the product, why our clients are working with these customers in the first place, and only then do we care about the technology which is not to say that the technology is not important, but really, instead of looking at technology as something that generates revenue, we look at technology as something that serves human beings. And that means mm -hmm. that technology has to come last. And as a, as a software engineer with 10 years of full stack software engineering experience um, across a variety of different technologies, TypeScript, Java, everything, um, I, I think I'm probably the last person who who would say this. I'm probably the most unlikely person to say this. But after going deep down that rabbit hole, I, I think I'm just recovering my own humanity. Like this is this is about people at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And that's why that's why we're all here together at Folkwise. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's something we've connected a, uh, on a lot, Monarch, is this idea that like, you're right, technology should be a a tool, but I think then we kind of get in this question of what is a tool and is a tool using you? Are you using the tool? And this, there's not yeah. always that very, it's easy for that line to be blurred, right? And we've had those conversations of how much is too much. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're on the phone. It was like all these things that have been engineered to captivate our attention. Um, and yeah. it's not necessarily great, right? When we have people <laughs> next to us who need our attention more. 
so I know that's something we've talked about is how do we respect people's time and attention and the way we're developing and trying to be ethical, right? Which is not really something I hear about a lot when it comes to software engineering. You don't necessarily see that being shared on LinkedIn about how to be an ethical engineer. Um, it's all about, yeah, I don't know. That's another thing. But so that's something totally. we've had. Totally, so right. Yeah. So I know that is really big for us too. Um, I mean, Monarch, I know you, you're really big on cultivating values as a company. I mean, is that something you would like to talk about? Because I know on our website, we, we make that very clear what our values are. Our, our values are super simple and they exist to make things more human because if you, if you think about why people naturally organize, uh, they naturally organize because they're family or they're a tribe or they're neighbors. And values are just implied in those situations, right? Like it's, it's just, if you're a family, you're going to see your dad, um, you know, you're going to see your dad just being himself and you're going to absorb values and values aren't even talked about in a family setting. They're not talked about in a tribal setting. They're not talked about in a neighborhood setting, but there are values like my neighborhood has a distinct set of values and I feel them more than I'm like literally aware of them, like verbally aware of them. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in a remote company and an asynchronous company, uh, which is what we are, uh, when we're, when we're really defining what work means because nobody's really figured out this asynchronous thing uh <laughs> i think it's really important to get everybody on the same page like if if we're all doing our own thing and we all have different ideas of where the company is going and what the company should be doing then we're gonna fail in the absence of daily stand-ups which is something that i hate i hate daily stand-ups <laughs> and the reason i hate them is because they're a ritual that disrupts people's days and takes away from work-life balance. And it's because they actually hide communication gaps rather than encourage communication. And there's so many reasons why values are important when you're working online, <laughs> um, especially this post-pandemic world. It's just so important to just be aligned. Like, have you guys felt a difference? Like, I feel like, I feel like you guys are finishing my sentences for me, you know, at this point, <laughs> like when, when I, when I want to, when I go away, I come back, I see that our illustrator Flora, like she's, she's done great work. You guys are basically saying things that I would have said, and that's not possible without talking about values and being very explicit about values. Cause now we all know what the company wants. So it's just becomes really organic and people can do their best work in that setting. Yeah, and I know that's the asynchronous thing. That's really, again, we've talked about that, Monarch, where um, being able to have that balance of you want to do good work, but you can't demand someone's time 24-7 as well. Like You need to be able to figure out how to do these things apart, but then also knowing how to come back together. So, Josh, I mean, I, I feel like this is already going off the, the outline I had, which is fine. That's how conversations go, right? So, Josh, I mean, you've, you've joined on here recently, and you've been working and nailed this, this website of ours. So with that and all these things we've already talked about, being very intentional with our design, um, if you want to go back to the values, uh, what we've crafted is, you know, above all, to care for others. Uh, we want to make sure we're teaching. We want to make sure we're not contrived. And then we want to be ourselves, right? And I think that's what people are going to see when they go to the website is this doesn't look like a typical website. It's very straightforward, but it, it respects people's time. It's like you're here because you want to know something, because you want to know more about what we do. And that's it. We're not here to try to get you to sign up for some, you know, uh, NFT, whatever, you know, alternate reality game, you know, all these things that websites are trying to do, right? All these super fancy swipes and fades. It's like, nope, here's a site. Here we are. And what, what got you into that mindset of trying to make something along these lines, Josh? Like, again, it's very intentional. It's very respectful of people's time. Like, what was your mentality and rationale behind doing that? I think it was the the value of being uncontrived, um, like that that word. I had to look it up when <laughs> when uh, 
when uh, Monarch first mentioned it to me and I was like, okay, I think I know what that word means, but I need to look it up and really like, you know, absorb it. Um, and that word just kept like kind of pinging in my mind every time I tried to do something that was like overcomplicated or um, that might end up being like a pain point for um, a visitor to the website. And we were really talking about keeping it clean and um, with with websites today they just there's just so much stuff on them um like so many things that you have to get out of your way before you can actually get to the website itself and uh, we 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 talked about it even in one of our asynchronous conversations about how we just we don't we don't like any of that stuff as as when we consume websites and why would we want to make the people visiting our website have to deal with that stuff too so I've just really been trying to keep it keep it clean, keep it simple, make it easy to navigate. Like here's the information if you want it, and if you don't, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it, it's funny we had that conversation because I was talking Monarch earlier today, and I was like, when we were having that conversation, just reminded me that my portfolio site has some of those animations, and I'm like, it was <laughs> I wasn't gonna mess with it. It's still super simple, but yeah, I just. It, it, it's interesting. Like it almost seems like we are not taking people seriously enough to be like, or at least our content seriously enough to let it stand on its own. We need like these gimmicks and it's almost like this dopamine hit. Right. Mm. Like I've seen, I've seen portfolios out there where it's like, it, it's pretty much like a game just to even get to someone's resume, which I'm like, that's cool. But like you say mm. you're a front end developer, but like, then you have no projects. It's just the portfolio site is like yeah. the project itself, which is, you know, if that's what you're going to do, that's fine. It's just, I don't know. I'm, I've always been very big in that minimalist attitude of like, even with my phone, like I literally have a minimalist launcher on there. So you open it up, you just have like six apps on the front and everything else is hidden. I'm like, that's how mm-hmm. I want to use my phone. Mm-hmm. Cause I want to get on there, do my thing, get off. If I go to yeah. a website, I want to go on there, get my stuff, get off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then because I know my tendencies to get lost in the weeds and all of a sudden, you know, Reddit 30 minutes later, I'm like, why did I spend 30 <laughs> minutes? Like LinkedIn oh, yeah. Lunatics is actually my new subreddit where I'm like, this site is just, uh, I got to go off of there. <laughs> um, LinkedIn is like that for me. Like I, I switch between LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube. Like I'll be on LinkedIn yeah, and I'll be like my formal, like, you know, like I'm like, I big myself up on LinkedIn and then I'll go to Twitter mm. and I'll be like tweeting about OpenAI, which is like GPT-3 stuff that, that I'm experimenting with mm. right now. Then I'll go to YouTube and I'll, I'll, I'll watch Star Wars lore so like it's it's like it's like the weirdest headspace in the world is, is in my skull yeah. and anything i can do to break away from that dopamine addiction cycle i try but i just can't and i don't want to put more people through that addictive cycle because like yeah i, I think i think uh because everybody just talks about video games and tv shows as oh it's so addictive and that's supposed to be mm-hmm. a good thing you know, it's supposed to be a good thing oh, somehow. <laughs> We're and, glamorizing it, right? It's like, oh, I binge watched this show over the weekend where it's like, hmm. you realize what's coming out of your mouth, right? I'm guilty of this. <laughs> I, I'm absolutely guilty of that. But it's like, yeah. you just spent three hours watching a show, but then in the same breath, like, I complain about how I don't have time to do things. I'm like, no, I do. <laughs> I just, yeah. chose, I just chose to do this. <laughs> I have like 75 hour weeks coming up next month and I've been detoxing so hardcore. It's like, yeah. I'm, it's just necessary. And, and I feel so low key embarrassed that I have to do this because I feel like a kid and I can't control myself, but you know what it is? Mm-hmm. You know what it is, is the internet was built on advertising. And I personally think that advertising is a wonderful thing. I think advertising is one of those things that makes it possible for us to progress and adopt new behaviors fast. Like people say marketing ruins everything, but really marketing is a social technology that helps you change your own behavior and change other people's behaviors. And like you've seen people who just will not use um, a cell phone, you know, like they just want to use landlines or there are people who just will not like like the fax machine is still being used in so many places and it just really shouldn't be you know you know why the fax machine still use it right why because you can't send a virus over fax 
Really? Is that really why? Yeah, like that, that is a big part of it. Yeah. They're afraid of viruses in Japan, I guess. I never thought about that. Yeah, you have a point. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. I don't think that's the sole reason, but I do remember like it was here recently because being in property management, I'd have to send faxes. And I'm like, well, this is annoying. Mm-hmm. And I looked it up and it's like it's it's potentially more secure in certain ways, but then also, yeah, you can't send a virus. Huh. Huh. Wow. That's but I never it, thought it about also, that. I mean Have you watched I, Battlestar I Galactica? Right. Wait, have you watched yeah. Battlestar Galactica? Like on this point. No. no. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, in the beginning, like, uh, uh, the planet gets blown up and a small group of human beings just escape into space. And the ship they're on is about, it's been mothballed like 80 years ago, but the reason their ship was the only one, it was like a museum piece. They escape on a museum piece, but the reason why they escape on a museum piece is because mm. all of the newer ships mm-hmm were infected by the alien yeah. virus. So the yeah, only one that survived was That is a trope in science fiction <laughs> yeah, very often. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. To get off on a tangent, though, so it's not just the viruses. So it's because since it's going over a phone yeah. line, there's no chance of like a signature getting tampered or intercepted, right? Um, not to mention you make sure it doesn't get into like a junk folder or spam folder or stuff like that. So. Uh. My, my fax machine just prints right into a garbage bin. Like, that's how I have it set up. <laughs> so so the, the, the podcast itself was a kind of a late addition. Uh, well, I would say late, relatively speaking, to Folkwise Startup. So when you created Folkwise Monarch, that was not on your radar. No. Um, but we talked about it. And, you know, there's a lot of printed content out there, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We're still producing some of that. But I know for me personally, a big thing in creating a podcast is it's more of a conversation, right? So the goal with this show is not just to be like, oh, hey, we know these things. You should listen to us. That's not the point, because trust me, I don't know things. It's (laughs) we're trying to bring people on to share their story about whether, you know, maybe they're a CEO, maybe they're a CTO, maybe they're, you know, we've talked about an interdisciplinary um workers, you know, having a multitude and a variety of backgrounds, bringing people on that have insight in a world that seems to be evolving all the time. Yes. Um, you know, and the, the, what's really cool about this is there's always opportunity for different episodes. The show could change, but I think deep down the goal here is to provide insight and perspective for people who are, let's be honest, we, we need it, right? It's almost like it, even though we are creating more content, there's just this problem of what I think is called information glut, where you can hear and read and see so much that you just feel sick, you feel hungover. Uh, So our goal is to not do that. Our goal is to make sure that if you're going to be checking out our podcast, it's actually worth your time. It's something that's actually going to get you to think critically and maybe provide some clarity to a problem that you had, whether, you know, you're, you're starting your own business or you've already started your own business and, you know, you're, you're trying to navigate what life, like you said, it's a post pandemic world. Like we're all figuring this out, but the goal is to have different people from different perspectives coming on because one of my favorite things about being a software engineer is knowing that my history is just as relevant to what I'm doing as someone who has a CS degree. Hmm. You know, I don't have that CS degree. I didn't come from, uh, you know, learning algorithms and data structures for years in school. It's, Hmm. I'm a sales guy, right? (laughs) But my, how I've been able to figure out problems and work with people is just as relevant as anyone else's. And we know working and you've started businesses, Monarch, I've have one failed business on my belt. Um, all of these things, no matter what industry you're in, are relevant and can help others. And that's, again, that's our goal here with Folkwise is to not just to not be contrived and not just to take care of others, but to teach. And hopefully that's what this podcast ends up doing is teaching and inspiring and encouraging others. So whether that happens, yet to be seen, but I'm feeling hopeful.
Okay, so what I thought we could do now is just kind of go over a little bit about who we are, where we've come from, because another part of the, the reason why this podcast exists is because we're hoping that you, our listener, might need some help developing an application or a website or where the case may be, and you've come to us because you think we can do it. So this gives you a chance to know who you're working with, because that's something, again, putting the humanity back in technology, not just in how things are being developed, but who you're working with. Uh, something we've talked about is how, you know, our engineers are actually going to be working with the clients. I think we talked about how maybe it's a matter of not trusting engineers to be able to communicate things uh, clearly or um, mm. politely. Sometimes yeah. I, I, I have I to say that... you are the most eloquent engineer I have ever met. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not at all. But but I think that's important, though, right? I mean, you know, so being in sales, I, I would lose sales not because the the vehicle itself was bad, but there's just some people I could not get to trust me, right? They mm. had just been so burned on car salesmen before where they just were never going to trust me. It was the right car for them. They just couldn't let go of that baggage. But then on the flip side, I had people that would come in with that baggage, but I could get them to trust me. And obviously I wanted to direct them to the right vehicle for them, but like they bought from me. It wasn't the dealership. It wasn't even necessarily the vehicle. They trusted me. And that's our goal is not in a manipulation or anything like that sense, but we know that we as a company we'll do our best when people know who we are. So this is kind of that moment to just do a little bit of introductions. We, I know we've kind of been doing that already. But Josh, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about yourself, maybe your uh, history with software engineering, and even like how you got hooked up with Monarch. Sure, yeah. Um, so my, my main background is in linguistics. I actually have a, an applied linguistics degree, which... Um, that's big, Italian big. food, right? <laughs> oh, no, yeah. that's linguine. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was uh, my big focus was teaching language. Um, so I'm actually a, a, a teacher or a language instructor, uh, not a not a public school teacher. Which okay. uh, whenever I I'm, I am a teacher, I teach things. But if I say mm -hmm. teacher, everybody thinks, oh, what grade do you teach? And <laughs> um, I my my main expertise is actually in adult education, um, working with uh, international students, immigrants, and newcomers to Canada. Um, mm -hmm. I'm I'm on the west coast of Canada, and I, I've also lived in Halifax on the east coast of Canada. Um, and I did some work with uh, the YMCA Center for Immigrant Services there. Um, yeah, so so I did my my degree in applied linguistics, and uh, I became a teacher right out of uh, university. I was working at a private school. Um, yeah, working with international students and learning a lot about um, yeah working working with people and um, like best practices for adult education like how to how to really get things to sink in uh mm -hmm. for people um which was a big interest of mine um for my own personal learning but also just for helping people i really i found early on that i really enjoy helping people uh, like achieve their own goals um and helping them define their goals if they don't know what their goals are uh, so that was a big focus for my early career um and I came to tech uh, through my own my own interest throughout my whole life. I've been interested in technology. Um, I'm a millennial, technically. <laughs> Geriatric millennials, um, all of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so you know, I I I grew up with the advent of the internet, and it, you know, I loved using computers and playing video games and you know, Pokemon and stuff on the Game Boy Color. <laughs> um, but I was always like a couple years behind, uh, the other kids. Mm. Cause I, you know, I had a single mom and she didn't always have the money to be able to get the newest console. So I'd get it like a year or two later and I was still happy with it though. It was so much fun. I um, was, uh, I, I used to play, um, uh, really ancient video games that I downloaded from this game site called home of the underdogs. Like if anybody knows what that is, like, oh. it's such a great site or it was, you could get like. <laughs> 
games from like the early 90s or even the, the 80s and you could install them yeah. because I, I also did not have an up-to-date laptop. Like I had janky old hardware and it was just like old video games. We're talking about a bunch of illegal stuff on here now? No! <laughs> are you talking about downloading ROMs? No! Well, hey, <laughs> I, never, I didn't say it. Yeah, abandonware. Yes, not ROMs. <laughs> abandonware. That's illegal stuff. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. My uh, my big placeholder for when I like when I was waiting to get uh, a Game Boy Color was a Sega Genesis that was given to me by uh, a friend of my mom's, and I had a black and white TV that switched mm. on with a dial. Whoa! And I and I I just I played so much of the Sonic Sonic the Hedgehog on Sega yeah. on that black and white TV, and oh man, it is hard to play that game without color. <laughs> I had a TV like that. It was color though, but I mean, I had that all the way up to at least 2003 or 2004. I had that in my room. My PlayStation was hooked up to it. Yeah, I got to pull it out and turn it. And if you need to go different channels, you had another separate dial. And so I got to ask Josh, because you're talking about being a linguist. Like, have you studied any, I mean, not just necessarily him, but like, you know, Tolkien was a linguist. He was phenomenal with that stuff. Have you spent a lot of time getting into like how he developed those languages or? Uh, I haven't gotten into constructed language. I mean, I thought about getting into constructed languages. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've been like, I've had this like novel idea in the back of my mind for years and mm-hmm. I've started like kind of mapping it out. I even started the base vocabulary and stuff like that. But um I haven't gotten, I haven't done a deep dive into it yet just because, you know, life, busyness. Yeah. But I always yeah. thought that like once I retire, I might, yeah, write yeah, that like, novel and create a few languages of my own. Do you ever like think about programming languages from a linguistics perspective? Oh, totally. Uh, I really think because like uh, I didn't learn about con- like constructed languages, but we did spend a lot of time studying real languages and learning like syntax, morphology, phonology, like all that kind of stuff in my degree. And I think I really loved studying syntax. And I think that that translated very well to studying code syntax because it's, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we talk about coding as a language and it's, it's true, it really is like coding languages. They are languages. There's a grammar to them and rule sets, and you know, it makes sense. Why? Well, in most cases, it does. Why things are certain <laughs> ways, right? You know, it's, um, uh, and it's the same thing, mm-hmm. dude. It's like sorry to interrupt, but like, yeah, like I'm I'm thinking about Lisp from back in the '70s and '80s, and Lisp. Uh, the interesting thing about Lisp was that you could actually build your own Lisp really quickly. Like you could build your own programming language really quickly. And hmm. everybody would build their own Lisp. And this was like an academic thing. Some, some people actually ended up using Lisp in production. Like Hacker News is built in Lisp, for example. Oh, wow. um, but uh, uh, yeah, like um, people would build their own Lisps and they all had these slight variations because they wouldn't all be up to spec. Like they'd be slightly different. So from a linguistics perspective, just studying how languages shift, evolve, and spread, like that's there's probably a cross-disciplinary like study to be done just in Lisp about how Lisp evolved over time. And some people say that technically JavaScript is a Lisp. I mean, I don't know how they come to that conclusion, but yeah, man, like like there's there's so much cross-disciplinary stuff that that's just people ignore because they've gotten into this cult of the specialist. Where, because I, like, I have, like, 10 years of experience as a software engineer, but I also have all these other parts of my personality. Like, I build communities. I, mm-hmm. I um, write content. But I have a solid 10 years of doing nothing but coding. Um, you read Star Wars lore on YouTube, or you watch Star Wars lore on yeah, YouTube? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's relevant. Yes. Hey, did you know that GPT-3, <laughs> GPT-3 can actually convert text to Yoda voice? It'll, it'll convert text to Yoda voice. It will actually do that. Like, like get in the car instead of get in the car. It'd be like in the car, get, and it'll it'll like huh. totally do it too. Like AI is fascinating. Anyway, I'm I, super tangent. Coming back to Josh. <laughs> coming back to Josh and language. Yeah. Oh uh, sure. Um, I, yeah. Well, I I 
yeah, I really like studying syntax, and I think that really helped with learning coding languages because I, I'm I'm self-taught. I uh, I didn't do a CS degree, um, like like you, David, and um, I came to software through my desire to kind of help modernize the um, English language teaching industry because I've noticed in the past few years uh, there's a massive gap in service with um, with the massive advent of online classes like uh, when when COVID hit like every class just converted to online if it could and um, especially in Canada with their federal um, education system uh, there's a whole lot of record keeping that has to be done that could not be done that was never done digitally before COVID and so I got in my head, oh, I want to learn how to make my own software to fill this gap. And so that's mm -hmm. something that I'm kind of working on as a side project um, as we speak. But yeah, so I, I, you know, I saw a need and I decided to try and fill it. And so I started teaching myself software engineering. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah, I just remembered uh, someone who I worked with at my last job. She got her uh, BA in linguistics and she also got a BA in cognitive science but now she's a software engineer, right? So, yeah. Hey, uh, that works. That works really well. And I'll get yeah. into the reasons. That and she's really good, so. I bet the best software engineers that I've worked with did not start off as software engineers. And they started off either self-taught way back in the day or they came in from another industry. Like, it's, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's a trend, it's a pattern. I'm not the only one who's seeing this. So what about you, Monarch? What makes you tick? <laughs> Hmm. Well, so <laughs> I, uh, I grew up wanting to start my own business and spoiler alert, I did. Uh, and I also crashed and burned uh, business. I have a failed business under my belt too. So, um, this is my third business. Uh, technically it's my third business, I guess. Um, but I started off studying nothing but business courses all through high school. All of my optionals were business. Like people go and try architecture or, you know, like history or whatever other option. I don't, I don't even know what other optionals existed because none of that even mattered to me. All I wanted to do was study <laughs> accounting, finance, marketing, economics, international business. I did that through high school. And then I did a degree in finance, thinking that finance was the pinnacle of business because, you know, the world is run by the banks. And I understood that at a very young age. So I wanted to understand um, the banking world and possibly get into it. And the, the more I studied it, the more I realized that it just wasn't for me. And I basically, after finishing my degree... I had all this knowledge about options, derivatives, Black-Scholes-Merton, amortization rates, um, how how mortgages work, how um, you know all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Not, at this point, me too. Uh, <laughs> just over my head too. And and I just didn't want to use any of it. So I started a retail mm -hmm. job, and I studied you know retail sales. I became a sales manager. And none of it really made me happy. So I decided, screw this. I'm going to go and play video games. And at some point that turned into, I want to make video games. And that turned into, mm. I want to learn how to code. And I would, this was so long ago. This was 10 years ago. So um, fast forward. At this point, I've worked in a variety of different languages. So I've worked in Java and these are in production. So I've worked in Java. I've worked um, in JavaScript. I've worked in Ruby on Rails on significant multi-year long projects. I've done React and I've done uh, Vue. I've done Angular. So all three of the big frameworks on the front end. Um, I love TypeScript. And I've done work for banks. I've done work for fintech firms. I've done work for uh, edtech firms. I've done work for shipping and logistics. I've done work across a variety of different fields. I've done, I've done work for Ericsson, like Sony Ericsson Ericsson, um, mm -hmm. where I was uh, an architect, uh, architecture consultant, um, handing down diagrams to like 150 developers. And all of that was a lot of fun. But one thing I realized was that 
the tribe of software developers was just changing and software development was getting more democratic because software tools were getting easier to use. Like if you compare C++ mm-hmm. to JavaScript, there's no comparison. Like it takes a genius to use C++ effectively, but JavaScript is so easy to use. It's so flexible. Anyone can pick it up. And once you start using JavaScript, you actually stop thinking about technology and you start thinking about the problem at hand. Like if you're doing, for example, front-end engineering, uh, yeah, like, you know, the technology is like, it's, it takes up a huge part of your brain power, but ha- half of your brain is thinking about user experience and thinking about mm-hmm. people. And I started realizing that software is way more about people than it is about computers. Like we even write code so that other people can understand it. That's a huge trope in software is write code that other people mm-hmm. will understand. Don't worry about the machine. The pandemic hit and the pandemic just, uh, we lost a bunch of contracts and we started doing hackathons just for fun. Uh, those I started doing hackathons just for fun. There was no we at that point anymore. And the hackathons grew into this really huge thing. We did 95 hackathons, more than 300 events. We had the TypeScript core team come in. We had the co-founder of GitHub come in as a speaker. We had um, like uh, the MongoDB team come in. I can't remember if we had Google come in. Um, we had so many awesome companies come in to just speak to mm-hmm. our audience of software developers. And it just confirmed to me that software engineering, if you don't focus on people, it just does not work. Like if you have a product and you want to sell that product, the first thing you need to do is think about who's paying you and who's going to use the product and then build the product only after you've established a funnel, a sales funnel. And that's something that I learned very late in the game. I wish I'd learned that earlier. Um, At this point, I've been a community builder for three of the last 10 years, um, and I've built a variety of different communities. I've helped other companies build communities from a sales perspective and a community building slash user-based perspective. And Folkwise is an extension of that journey. Like after building a community of 10,000 software engineers, I realized that I could sell to those software engineers. Like I could actually go and I could make money by selling stuff to those software engineers And with these skills, what could I actually help clients do? So clients who want to build a community around a product, clients who have a product and don't have a community, clients who have a community but don't have a product, can we, can can the three of us get together and build something that would make a lot of people very, very, very happy. Like, and I'm not just talking about the business side, Mm -hmm. although the business side is important, but also the users. Can we build ethical software that respects the users instead of trying to manipulate the users? And in doing so, can we gain the trust of the user and elevate elevate how they see the company? Like, do you want to be seen as a manipulative company who uses dark patterns and you can't cancel very easily. Uh, You have these weird animations that almost seem condescending and they're so annoying and you just wish you could turn them off. Like, do you want to be that company? Or do you want to be that company that respects your users, respects the people who are paying you money, respects their time, respects their intentions, and gives them pure value and gains their respect? And which do you think is more powerful in this world when everybody is doing all sorts of psychological gimmickry to get users to stick to the product? Why aren't we talking about respect and permission? Why aren't we talking about ethics? Mm-hmm. And that's what Folkwise is all about. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that when I got into software engineering, I'll kind of segue into my story you know i was thinking about like uh are you guys familiar with uh, tristan harris no who's that okay so he is the president and co-founder of the center of humane technology uh so if you guys watched oh God, what was that netflix documentary that came out like a year or two ago um about cell phones and social media and all that i can't remember what it's called oh the social dilemma mm-hmm. yeah so he yes. was featured pretty heavily on that um oh, but that's I, the kind I loved of stuff that. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff he talks about where he realized the stuff he was doing at Google just was like he couldn't get behind it and he left. And I mean, I hate the phrase whistleblower 
Like, I just feel like so many people are just, it's such an easy label to put nowadays. But I mean, he really did do something to try to bring light to that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a really big thing for me. I mean, probably half of my bookshelf uh, is about ethics, whether it's about technology, theology, whatever. Because, I mean, that's really at the core value of who we are as people is, you know, how we treat ourselves and we treat others. We treat uh, the, you know, creation that we walk on, right? And this technology, it's it's a very easy way to to help others, but it's also a very easy way to harm and belittle and uh, dehumanize others as well. And I think for a lot of us, we just, and that's part of my story, is we just kind of signed on and we didn't think about what was to come, right? It was like, oh, here's this new flashy thing. This is awesome. Why wouldn't we do this, yeah. right? This makes our lives so much easier. Uh, we bow at the altar of efficiency, right? Um, and we don't care who we sacrifice to get there. So for me, you know, I was that kid that, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I'm 33, so I don't remember what year it was, but you know, we were still getting uh, CDs from ISPs, you know, so like Net Zero, Juno. I don't know if you guys had that up in Canada. Uh, <laughs> those companies, I don't know how international they were. But so I think it was Earthlink. We had a CD and it was like, hey, you can get your free, you know, web hosting or whatever you use the internet through us. I'm like, oh, this is cool. So I made my own website. All it was was a visual Pokedex of the first 151 Pokemon <laughs> back when it was still like, you know, the black and white, like red and blue nice. game. Um, I was like, oh, this is cool. So like I started using websites like Homestead and Angel Fire and Tripod. Uh, eventually, you know, I'd worked a little bit with like GeoCities because you got that whole like, you know, drag and drop. What you see is what you get editor. <laughs> but like I still taught myself how to code. My parents bought me a HTML for Dubbing's book and I just... I read it the way that they wish I would have read the Bible, right? I was always reading it and getting into it. <laughs> so I taught myself coding and I just kind of stopped. I couldn't, couldn't tell you why. Um, it always like stuck with me to the point, you know, like when MySpace became big, I knew enough to customize my profile, you know, to try to get people to, you know, you're always get girls, too. For girls, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Um, you know, but I never really did anything with it, and it was back in 2019. So, you know, I, I jumped from a lot of different jobs. So, you know, I was a Jimmy John's delivery driver. I uh, worked at a gas station. I was a professional touring musician. Uh, I worked at Toys R Us distribution center. I was a property manager. I shined shoes. I mean, I've been a car salesman. It's it's just been all over the place, right? But car sales, you know, it got to the point, and this is what people don't really understand, is even pre-pandemic, car sales weren't great. Like, eh, it was okay, but, like, they weren't... 2017 was much better than it was in 2019. I can't tell you why, but for me, working at a couple different dealerships, it definitely was not the same. So I was already like, you know what, between the ethics of the business and just not making the money we needed, I started looking into coding again. But then the pandemic happened. And unlike most people, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of free time. So my daughter was in the hospital for a while. And then I still had to go back to work. So didn't really have like my, my time got interrupted. Let's put it that way. Uh, but then eventually got to the point where I was like, you know what? I've got to commit to this. So that's when I finally, you know, did the whole boot camp route. Um, but I think for a lot of people, you know, like they, they talk about how they enjoy problem solving or creating things, which I mean, you can do in any industry, right? It's not just engineering where you can do that. But I think for me, it's just like how when I shine shoes, like I could take uh, just the most ratty beat up pair of shoes and just bring it to life, you know, and it's just such an awesome thing to see. And a lot of engineering is the same way, even if it's not super flashy, right? It's not like you're just creating an app every single time you're getting into a flow. But I think for me, it's like, oh, well, this was very tangibly a problem. Now it's not, but you can see it. You, you see those results. You don't see those error messages anymore. It's just kind of that sense of satisfaction you don't get with a lot of jobs. And I kind of got bored of sales. I'm like, cool, I sold another car. And they're going to call me in a week saying that there's something wrong with it. Like, I'm, I'm over <laughs> this. You know, I'm so tired of this. But yeah, I, you know, it's, that's what's 
for me, just all the, you know, even my time in seminary and studying theology, again, that's where the ethics stuff really came in. And, you know, wanting to code in a way that I can look at the product I'm working on and not be ashamed of like telling people, hey, this is what I do for a job, right? I can sign, I can put my name on this because uh, I haven't always had that luxury in sales, unfortunately, because you can't control what your managers to do. You mm. know, there's car sales. Everyone knows how car sales are. It doesn't matter where you live. <laughs> it's, uh, I did uh, cell phone sales for two and a half years, right after finance. And I felt the same way about mm. it. It was just like, you were almost expected to lie, but they never came out and said, mm-hmm. lie oh, to yeah. customer to us. But I, I knew all sorts of places that did tell their employees lie. Um, and mm-hmm. again, it's that same theme of using psychological tricks. Like uh, you're, if you if you were in a mall behind behind like a counter, uh, the inside of the counter would be about six inches or like three inches off the ground to make you seem taller. And I would ask myself, mm-hmm. why is that? And then I would get the answer like after a few days of thinking about it. Oh, taller people command more respect and have more authority, so they're trying to make everyone look taller so that they can sell more. And it was, it was just, it, I love the company that I worked for, don't get me wrong, but the industry itself just did not allow Mm. for ethics, just did not allow for ethics, especially at the um, position that I was in. Like I was, you know, I was, I was, I tried my best to do what was right by the customer, but it was really hard to not bend or break your personal integrity when, when the whole industry is just like, you know, like that. And I'm seeing software engineering going in that direction. And I just hate it. Like it's, it's everything about software engineering. Like when you look at it from, if you think about consulting and if you think about like consulting or uh, agencies have become this dirty word, right? It's uh, when, when the customer goes to an agency, um, they almost expect to be cheated or taken advantage of in many ways. Like uh, if I, if I say, oh, I'm running a software development agency, then people all of a sudden look at me in a certain way. Why? Because they expect all sorts of overhead. They expect uh, project managers uh, in the middle shielding you from the developers. You never get to talk to the developers as a client. Um, and like, why can't, why does it have to be like this? You know, like it's, it's so ridiculous. Like software engineers are very, very intelligent people. They understand abstract concepts. They pick up things really fast. I mean, come on, it's in the job, right? It comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. And why aren't we taking advantage of the fact that most good software engineers are probably in the 120 IQ range or up and just let them talk to the damn customers, let them go and make mistakes, you know, like let them listen, let them understand, let them develop empathy, come back and give you Mm -hmm. pushback and help you understand that, like help you get out of that ivory tower. You know, like why can't, why can't software developers Mm -hmm. fulfill the function of being the ears on the ground? Because that's where they naturally belong. The best work that I've done has been work where I talk to the customer I went back, I developed a feature. I went back to the customer, talked to them, got their feedback. They said, it sucks or it's great. And I go back and I fix it or do more of it. And that's been the best work that I've ever done. And can Folkwise replicate that? And that's that's the that's the big question is, can we ethically replicate um, a f- can we ethically replicate that experience that I've had and so many other startups have had? Can we... Can we run an engineering team the way a startup is run so that we can have startup-like exponential results? Like what is special about startups that cause them to have those exponential results? Like what is it that they do? It's all about feedback. It's all about going to the customer and coming back. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like unfortunately, a lot of of the time, instead of leading with trust and responsibility, it just turns into something that it really shouldn't be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that that model is really cool too, because it, it challenges the, what I think what a lot of the public probably still has, um, that stereotype that a lot of the public still has about software engineers and people who work with computers in general, you know, about the, you know, the, the nerdy guy 
with the neck beard and don't look at my neck beard. <laughs> we all have beards. <laughs> you know, just like who who has like no people skills and mm-hmm. and you know will be unpleasant to work with, right? But that's not that's not the case anymore. There's so many software engineers who are absolute delights to work with and that have amazing people skills. So like like I, I love what you're doing, Monarch, because it's like why not showcase those people if they're on your team? Hundred percent. Yep. Yep. That's what Folkwise is all about. So as we're kind of wrapping up, Mark, I mean, if someone's listening to this, and obviously other people are, but if someone's listening to this, like, you know what, this sounds like the kind of company I want to work with, where would you direct them to go? Uh, folkwise.io. Uh, that's F-O-L-K-W-I-S-E dot I-O. Go take a look at the blog section. Read the articles there you'll see the picture of the software developer who wrote the article along with their full name, their LinkedIn, their Twitter, and an email link. Uh, Reach out to any of the software engineers that you find on the website and start a conversation with them about your needs and just talk to us. You know, you you can reach out to me if Mm -hmm. like I write a lot on that, on that blog. So if you find me, reach out to me, you can reach out to Josh, you can reach out to David. Um, I know a lot about, uh, deep tech. I know a lot about you know APIs and developer tools. I know a lot about um, finance and fintech. So that's kind of a natural fit. Like if you're in those industries, come talk to me. If you're in ed tech and education, uh, anything to do with language, uh, maybe Josh is a really interesting person to talk to just as a first coffee chat. And if you're into the automotive sector, if you are building a CRM, if you're catering to salespeople, um, David would be an awesome person to talk to. And you can see all of these details. You don't have to remember this. Um, each developer's that name comes with their bio, like a short bio and their specialties. So just talk to them. There's no sales process. It's a human conversation. And we'll just pull whoever needs to be pulled in um, after that point. So it's really human. It's really straightforward. And, um, we do not store emails. We do not, um, store emails without your permission, except for in our email inboxes. So reaching out to us is like, it's just literally like emailing a friend and that's, that's how we operate. Yep. And I was going to say, if you want, you can actually jump onto our website at folkwise.io. There is a contact page there. Um, And then our LinkedIn links are next to our bios as well, if that's something that you feel more comfortable doing. But apart from that, I think we're going to wrap up here. In spoiler alert, we've got more episodes coming down the pipeline. But in all seriousness, we've got a great selection of guests who have agreed to be on the show. And we're always looking for more guests to jump on as well. If you'd be interested in sharing about your company's vision and culture on our show, especially if you're a CEO, CTO, or CISO, head over to our website at folkwise.io and send us an email through our contact page. Thanks again for checking out the show, and we'll see you next time.